give God some praise this morning if you're excited to be in the house of God today. Remain standing with me as we get into the Word of God today. We're going to go to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Then David gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who's enthroned between the cherub. I want you to see something here in verse 3. They placed the ark of God in a new cart, and they brought it to Abinadab's house, which was in the hill of Uzzah and Ehio. Abinadab's sons were guiding the cart as they left the house carrying the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, harps, tambourines, all that stuff. And verse 6, But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nakun, the ox stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. The Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. And David was so angry because of the Lord's anger, had burst out against Uzzah, he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, and as is still called today. And David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David, and instead he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of God. And the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's house and his entire household. Let's pray. Father, bless this word this morning. Father, as we um, speak your word and as we really just begin to study your word, I would just pray that you would guide us and lead us and show us, Lord, what it is you want us to learn. And bless those here today or those listening online right now. We just open our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. We're going to start this brand new series today, and the name of the series is entitled Reset. How many of you feel in times in your life you might need a reset, to start over, or let me ask this better question, how many of you, if you can go back and change a few things in your past, you would right now? Show me your hands. All right, that's a better way to say it. See, this whole series that we're starting now to reset, when I was thinking about this, It all came to me when I was thinking about my childhood. Now, I'm going to take some of you back. Some of of the younger people here, you're not going to have a clue what I'm about to show you under this blanket here. But some of you, we're going to go into this throwback right now. You guys ready? All right, I'm going to reveal it right here. You guys remember this one? How many of you remember these days? All right. How many have no idea what this contraption is? Some of y'all, oh, okay. So... When we were kids, we had this amazing state-of-the-art system called a Nintendo. You guys remember that? And we thought then that the graphics were amazing. And I remember, as kids, we would get this, this brand new game, and we were so excited, and we had this great expectation. We ran home, and we couldn't wait to play it together. And as we put it in, wouldn't you know that I would think 90% of the time, it never worked, right? And what I love about it 
is that sometimes it worked, and right when you got to the best level, what happened? It crashed. It froze. Sometimes you were so into this game, if, if someone came in and walked too hard, it froze and it was over. And we all had that friend or cousin that ran and pressed the button and ran away, right? See, we had some troubled childhoods when we really roughed it back then for entertainment. But see, what I love about this is that I remember when we were kids that every time the game froze or crashed or whatever happened, we developed these, these ideas of how to get it working. We all had these different methods. So some of you remember this, this, remember that one? And you took a deep breath and you put it in and you pressed power and you hoped that it worked and it didn't. And then you blew it in here and you blew it there and you were just crazy. Some of you remember just going in and out, tapping it back and forth and see if maybe you got lucky. How many remember the alcohol you used to rub in it? Did you know that right in the back of the game it said, do not put alcohol in the game? But we never listened because we thought our way was better. And what I love about this is that I was online looking at the old instruction book for this Nintendo. And wouldn't you know it says in case the game happens to crash or freeze, the only thing you have to do is press the reset button. And if I asked you right now how many of you tried that, you would say, I, no, I, I never did that. I did everything else to get it to work, but the instruction said just hit reset. And the game should start right up. And I, I thought back to my childhood and I said, man, did I ever hit the reset button? And I never did. But that's why that button was there. I mean, there's a power button and there's a reset button. And I know that a lot of us as Christians, we, we know that we have the power of Christ living inside us, Right? But just because you have the power of Christ in our lives doesn't mean that sometimes in your journey and in your walk with Christ, you need to have a reset. And so many people here, you know, like this Nintendo says, I remember getting so frustrated and angry with it, and a few times I wanted to just break it myself. And so many people in life today, we're living like that. We have so many people, even in church, that are just frustrated with their lives. We have so many people that are angry. And we're trying to get everything right, and we're trying to fix things, and we develop these weird ideas and strategies to really make ourselves better in life. So we tend to think, well, maybe if I get a new job, then things might work out better. Or maybe if I just get divorced and get a new spouse, and maybe I'll be happier. Or if I buy this and I change that, all of us have this little strategy that we think it's really going to get us to a better place in life. And when we realize it really doesn't, then what? And sometimes I believe is that simple as allowing God to reset some things in your life. And you're probably thinking, well, pastor, what does that look like? What does that mean? When you look at the word reset, it has so many different types of definitions that I just loved. See, to raise reset is defined as to make some adjustments to fix something. How many of you need to fix something in your life right now? 
See, sometimes fixing something is simple as making adjustments. Another definition said is to do something different and start over. And maybe you're hearing there's some things in your life you say, well, I need to do this different now because it's not working out. Other translations said to start new, to fix, to do different, to make new again. And when I looked at that definition, I realized that God is all about reset. God is all about making things new in your life again. You think that God wants you to live a life of frustration and anger and not living your best life now and really not living your fullest potential? God never designed you to live miserable. And when you read the scriptures, the reality is is that a lot of people in life messed up. They made some bad choices. They ended up doing some really bad things to really great people And God gave them a reset. For example, I thought about a man named Jacob in the Bible who was a twin. And remember, I preached this before, but every twin, there's a good one and there's an evil one. I'm the good twin, Danny's the evil one. Remember that. So every twin, one of them is evil, and Jacob was the evil one. He lied, and he stole his brother's inheritance, and he really hurt his brother, and he left his family, and he caused a lot of damage. And sometimes, like Jacob, we make some selfish decisions that really just break the family apart. But when he got alone with God, and God began to wrestle with him about some things, God gave him a brand new start. God gave him a reset and even changed his name. I thought about the prodigal son in Luke 15. The Bible says that Jesus told this parable of a son that got the inheritance too early, thought he was making a right decision, and left his father's house to live some wild life. He wanted to go to Miami. He wanted to just, you know, our typical weekend. And he wanted to just have fun and party and go crazy. And he lost everything. And the Bible says he came to his senses and he came back to the father. That's what it means to have a reset. He started over. I thought about Peter who got in the wrong crowd and denied Jesus three times because in church, some of us are repeat offenders. You tell God, I'm sorry, and you go back and do it again. That was Peter. He denied Jesus three times. And even then, the Bible shows us that Jesus looked at Peter, called him, and Peter came back to Christ. And it was there that Peter planted the church and was used again. I thought about Mary who was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus didn't condemn her but gave her a new life. That's a reset. What about the Samaritan woman who had five men in her life? She was going from relationship to relationship, trying to find purpose and value in others, and Jesus gave her a restart and gave her identity. You see, the Bible is clear that Christ is all about reset. He's all about adjusting things in your life to get you where you need to be. One person gets it. Great. But the biggest reset, I think, I, in my opinion, in the Bible is that of David. And I know that when you think of David's sin, what's the first thing you think about? His adultery. The real dirty one, right? But see, in the Bible, what a, what a lot of people don't realize is that David messed up a lot of times. Maybe that's you today. The Bible says in verse 3 of the chapter we just read that they placed the ark of God 
in the cart. And in the Bible, God instructed them to get poles and lift the ark with those poles. But see, what do you do when what God instructs you to do is not as convenient or easy? When you read the Bible, you're going to come across some commandments that you're going to look at and say, no, I don't think I can do it that way. So we got to stop pretending that we read the Bible and look at something that God tells us to do and pretend like, oh, that's easy, I, I got that. No, there are some things I look at and I tell God, I don't think I can do that. So the Bible says they placed the ark of God in the new cart. You know that I really think this is where the first Cuban came out? This is like that, that one guy that was like, oh, I can rig something. This is, this is where my dad's lineage is from. They're, they're like, no, oh, we can do something better. We can do something easier. And we can really make it easier. So they had an idea to put the ark of God on a cart. And yeah, it was easier. Yes, it was more convenient and a lot quicker. But regardless of that, it was wrong. See, there's a lot of things in the Bible that may not be as convenient for you. And it's not going to be easier. You know, when God says um, that thing about forgiveness and other people, sometimes you think, well, I, I can't do that. That's too difficult. And it's not convenient for you to forgive someone right now. Maybe God is pushing you out. you got to start tithing. That's never convenient. Sometimes it's not as convenient to have integrity, especially during tax season. Come on, don't. And it's not convenient. See, obeying God may not always be easy. Obeying God may not always be convenient. But I promise you, obeying God will always lead you to his best and bless you. God's obedience to God will always bless you in the long run, not instantly. And like David, I believe that we have received instruction on how to live this life. And God has given you this book to really guide us in every area of your life. But the reality is, we tend to look at this as God being a killjoy, a burden. He wants us to be sad when he tells us we can't do this, but the reality is he's actually protecting us. He's trying to avoid pain and hurt and in disappointment in your life. That's why it's so important to listen. And the reason that God has given us the Bible I believe it's because of Proverbs 14.12. And let me remind you of what that says in Proverbs 14.12. It says, there is a path before each person that seems what? Let's say it loud. That seems what? But in the end, what? It ends in death. When I look at that verse, I think about some of the worst choices I've made were the best ideas I've ever had. Can I get a witness? 
Let's look back. I want you to think about some really stupid things you did this weekend, <laughs> last year, whatever. Think about the worst thing. Don't be like, I, I can't think of any. I'm so holy. And you know that that decision you're thinking of right now, at one point in your life, you said, man, I should really do this. I should really try this. I, I should really date them. I, I should really take this opportunity because there is a path that in the beginning, it seems right to you. There's some habits that seem right to you. There's some relationships that seem right to you. There's some choices that seem right to you. And in the future, there will be choices that are going to seem right to you. But the Bible says some of those paths actually lead to death, destruction, pain. That's why we need to rely on the guidance of God through his word because God will never lead you wrong. But we seem to want to always go by what we seem. And we go by what we feel. You know that when David got that Ark of the Covenant and someone said, wow, why don't we put him in the cart? Knowing it was a direct violation to God's word. David said, wow, that seems like a good idea. We'll get there quicker. It'll be a lot easier. But David had no idea that it would lead to death. And a lot worse problems. When God instructed them to put it in poles, it shows me that God's way is always better. Even though it might take longer. May not be as easy or convenient. God's way is always best. The poles were designed to balance the ark in case of a stumble. Because God knows exactly in your life what you can't handle. God knows that there's a possibility of stumble in this area, so I'm trying to prevent you from really getting hurt. But sometimes we're so persistent and doing it our way. I love how quiet it is because it means that you're thinking about things that you know right now are not best for you. But sometimes in our pride, we like to take control. We want to do what seems best for us. And you know what's frightening about this? I get asked this all the time. What scares you the most about God? What's scary? I get that all the time. I don't know why. And they want me to say like, oh, the fact that he can just spit and you die or burn you alive. I don't know. But you know the, the most, the scariest thing about God is that he gave us free will. Think about that. The frightening thing about that 
is that there's a way that seems right but leads to death, but in our free will, God allows us to go on that path. We don't listen. We stubbornly continue. We tend to think that the minute we're about to walk on the wrong path, God's going to stop us. That's not always the case. Sometimes God has tried to stop you, but you just don't listen. And God says, go ahead. You'll be back. I thought about people like Jonah who knew he was wrong when he said, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm going to Tarsus. And he jumped on the boat against the word of God and wanted to be in rebellion against God. And he thought it was best what he was doing, knowing that God had directed him differently. And God let him get on the boat. God let the storm come. And Jonah had a lot of pain in his life because of free will. I thought about Samson, who he had his parents tell him, that's not the girl for you. Of all the women in Israel, why are you going to choose that one? Because God will bring people in your life to instruct us and warn us. But it's up to you whether you're really going to adhere to that instruction. And Samson went on a date. He didn't care. He went over to just have fun with her. I don't know. And the Bible says that even then God gave him a chance. You know, in the end, Samson was bold and, I don't know, blind and in chains. But that that wasn't instantly. And God gave him some big red flags about her. You know, if you wake up and your hair is tied in pigtails and you're tied up, bound, chances are she's crazy. And you need to run. You ever dated someone like that? (laughs) Maybe you're married to them? I don't know. But... Those are warning signs. But in his free will, he kept going. And maybe you keep going at it. Whether it be the prodigal son, whether it be David, anyone, they had the free will to choose. And God says, I will not force you to do it my way. Look at Psalms 81.10. What he said to the people of Israel. It was God, it was the Lord your God who rescued you from Egypt. He said, open your mouth. That, that literally means get ready to receive. How many of you want to receive from God? He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it with what? With good things. God says, get ready to receive great things from me. But no, he says. What if God has to say no to the good things he has for you? He says, but no. My people would not what? Listen. Israel did not want to be around me. So I let them follow their own stubborn 
desires. Living according to their own ideas. God said, I'll let you live however you want to live. I'll let you do whatever you want to do. I'll let you control your life. Live according to your ideas. Go ahead and do what you think is best. But I'm warning you, I am holding back the good things I have for you. Because you're stubborn. And you won't listen. So oftentimes, we just live under our own. Isn't that the culture we're living in today? Put your own ideas about life. Get get your own ideas about God. Get your own ideas about the way you want to live and, and do that. And God says, I'll let you. But I don't want to die and be in heaven and look back and realize all the good things I could have had from God, but I was too stubborn and didn't listen. And what's scary about this is that in verse 5, they put God in the cart, which again, remember, it was a direct violation, rebellion against God's word. And all David and all the people of Israel were what? Celebrating. Because the judgment of God doesn't happen right away. So all the people were celebrating before the Lord. This is crazy. But did you know you can be in sin and still be in church worshiping God? Did you guys know that? Not you guys. I know you guys aren't like that. But I want you to notice this. Because this is the time we're living in. We're living in an era where in church today, there are people living in deliberate sin and rebellion towards God, but Sunday morning they come together and they're celebrating Him. The Bible says that the worship team came out singing songs and playing all the musical instruments. So it leads me to believe that if I were there and I looked at all this, I would say, man, what a great godly person. Look at that group of people singing and worshiping God. They must be so close to the Lord. They must be living so great with God. Because the appearance of godliness is easy to do. And it looks like you're obeying God. And for a time, they were celebrating and singing and worshiping. And they had this amazing service for God. But all the while... They were in direct violation with God. Living in disobedience. Yet from a distance, they all look great. And that's where so many people are right now with God. The majority of what you really have with God is just a great show. But not a great heart with Him. And the Bible says that it wasn't long after that the ox stumbled and death came and the consequences were felt. Because when you're living in direct violation with God and you're worshiping, you're doing all of that great stuff, it's only a matter of time till you stumble. 
And I ask myself, well, why does God allow us to stumble so, so often? The stumble, I want you to remember this. The stumble was to humble. Say that with me. The stumble was to humble. Turn to your neighbor now. Far away, there's Corona. Far away. And tell him, the stumble was to humble. (laughs) See, when God allows you to stumble in life, it's not to punish you. It's to humble you. To get you to realize that God's way was better. And if you want to reset in your life, you have to learn how to handle your stumbles. A lot of us get it wrong because when we stumble because of our choices, we tend to reflect that on God as God's saying, He hates me, He's mad at me, He wants nothing to do with me. But the truth is, when God allows you to stumble and fall and really allows consequences, it's to humble you and get you back on the right path. That's all it is. And when they stumbled, Uzzah reached out and tried to grab the ark of God and he died. Because the greatest form of pride is thinking you can help God. And when Uzzah tried to reach out and and help the ark from falling, remember that ark represented God. And the reason he died instantly is because that was a demonstration of pride. To think that you can help God. That you can save God. So today you're between two paths. Pride or humility. And if you're living in pride, the stumble comes to humble. But what happens is I've seen so many people stumble. And they handle it wrong. Look at verse 8. The Bible says that after all of this happened... David was angry with the Lord. David was angry with God. He handled the stumble all wrong. See, a lot of times when our lives are a mess, we get angry with God. Not realizing that sometimes we are where we are because of our choices, not God. But David took it out against God. He couldn't believe that God killed Uzzah. He couldn't believe this and he never stopped to realize, man, this is my fault. I did this. Why? Because prideful people get angry with God. Because prideful people never apologize, do they? Prideful people always point out the wrong and never the wrong in them. And David, in his pride, got angry with God. And as a pastor, I see, I see this all the time. People sit down with me for counseling, and they're just telling me how angry they are with God. And this happened, and that happened, and I lost this, and I lost that. And pastor, where was God in all of that? And I stopped them, and I realized, and I tell them, don't you realize all of that happened because you chose to do this? So maybe you're here and you're stumbled and you're handling it wrong. You're angry with God. 
I thought about Cain in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. He was angry with God because God didn't accept his offering. And God said to Cain, why are you angry? You know, if you're angry with God right now, he's asking you why. The Lord asked Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? He said, you'll be accepted if you what? Do what's right. If you just do what's right. I love what God says. You're wasting your time being angry with me. If you would take all that energy into doing what's right, it can actually be beneficial. Being angry with God will do nothing to get you where you need to be. The Bible says in James 1.20 that anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. That word righteousness means to be in right standings with God. You will never be in right standings with God if you continue to choose to be angry with Him. But see, once David got over his anger, in verse 9, I'll close with this one. The Bible says that David began to now feel guilty. The Bible says that David was now afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back to my care? See, when you stumble, David demonstrates that people react one of two ways or sometimes both, like he did. Sometimes we do get angry with God. And we realize that's pointless. But sometimes when we stumble, I think we get angry towards ourselves. David's anger now turned to guilt and condemnation. Condemnation is the constant reminder of your failure. You'll be surprised how many people condemn themselves because of their choices and what they did in their past. And David started talking to himself and he said, how can I do this? He gave up. And oftentimes people really give up on God because they really believe the lie that God has given up on them. And he decided, the Bible says, he decided to leave the ark of God in Obed-Edom's house. He made a decision. He said, God, this is where I leave you. God, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm meant for this life. Do you know how many people I see live like that? They say, God, I don't, I, this is where I leave you, God. I don't think I can be a Christian. I don't think I can live right. I don't think I can live pure. I don't think I can do what the Word of God says. I don't think I can do the church thing. I don't think I can do this. And the truth is, you can't. But with what? With God. All things but see that's why the devil tries to convince you to leave God behind because then 
the possible will be impossible. And guilt gets you to turn your back on God. I wonder if you're far from God today, where you last left Him. You last left God in the worst decision of your life. You last left God where you were most guilty. And I, you can be in church right now like you are. You can be listening online like you are right now. And it doesn't mean you're close to God. And you've made that decision to kind of just backslide and stray from God because you convinced yourself, I, I, I can't do this. And you're angry with yourself. In three months, David left God behind. And one day, he's looking through Facebook and he sees Obed-Edom's Facebook page. He sees his Instagram he says, man, Obed-Edom's getting blessed. And ever since I left the ark at his house, he's been flourishing and man, God's been doing awesome things in his life. And David realized, wait a minute, I'm supposed to have that. You see, sometimes God will put people in your life and your your path that are more blessed than you are. And I don't think it's because God wants to hurt you or make you jealous or any of that. I think that God puts people, at least in my life, that are highly blessed more than I am to remind me that if I did it for them, David, I can do it for you. But sometimes we look at people like Obed and we think, well, why them, God? And that's not fair, whatever. But listen, God was telling David, I can bless you more than that. Because the God of Obed-Edom is your God too. The God that blessed that person is your God too. The God that healed them is your God too. The question is, will you get back on his path and his plan and allow God to give you a reset and make adjustments to get you where you need to be? In verse 12 and 13, David realizes He realizes here that God had blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has was because of the ark of God. So David went there. David went back. I think it's messed up, but he just took it from him. And this time, He celebrated. You know the greatest worship God receives is when you worship Him in spirit and truth. When you worship Him and you're living in right standings with Him. And David made a decision that you can make today. You can say, God, I need a reset. 
I've been prideful. I've been stubborn. I've been doing it my way and you have let me. And I am stumbling. I am hurting others. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know where I'm going. I just need to stop. I need to reset God. And the first thing I need to do is come back to you. This is why David wrote Psalm 30, verse 5, one of the most popular psalms we quote, but we don't know the context of why he wrote it. David said, because of this incident, his anger lasts only a moment. Can we praise God for that for a moment there? His anger lasts for a moment. But his favor will last a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, Come on, you're going to go through a season where you're weeping because you know you're living the consequences of your choices. That means that during those three months that David was apart from God, he just weeped. He lived in guilt. He lived in condemnation, failure, kicking himself, angry with himself, thinking, I can't do this, and God doesn't love me. I can't be a part of this anymore. But the Bible says... That weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. The morning is always a reminder. The morning is always a reminder of a new day. Isn't that a reset? So David says, I was weeping. But God gave me a reset. Make the decision today with every head bow, every eye closed here today. I'm going to give you guys some time alone there. I want you to think about really where are you at with God right now? Maybe you're in the stumbling phase and you're feeling the consequences already of your stubborn, rebellious choices. Maybe you're in the false celebration stage. You're worshiping, you're singing, you're coming to church, but you know you're not where God wants you to be. You're walking down the wrong path. You're just coming to his service. Maybe you're in the weeping stage. You've backslid. You've just turned from God and you're saying, Pastor, I'm just not the same anymore. And I feel like God is just mad at me and God hates me and I feel like I can't do this. So I kind of just made the decision to stray from the Lord. Today you could also have the reset stage. You can get back to the presence of God. God can still bless you and your household. You think God is done with you, you don't know God. But you have to make that decision that David made. Am I going to stay angry with God and angry with myself? Or am I going to go back and get God where I left him? That's what repentance is. You just turn back. The change of mind that causes you to turn. So let me pray for you this morning as we dismiss. There's no one looking around. This is just you and God right now, but if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I need, a, I need a reset from God. I need a reset in my relationships. I need a reset in my marriage. I need a reset the way I'm raising my kids. 
I just need a reset. Man, I wish I could start over. You can. Because the Bible said God works all things for good. That means even the bad in your life, God can use for good. That's what a reset does. And it breaks my heart to see someone that's far from God when they don't want to be, but they feel like they have to be because they can't get back to where they were with God. Yes, you can. You'd be the first person in history God cannot fix. God cannot love. But I hate to tell you this, and you're not that person. If you're here today, you're saying, Pastor, I need a reset. Let's put that hand up so I can pray over you right now. God bless you. You see you there. There's a lot of us here. It's okay. In fact, why don't we all stand to our feet to pray together? With every head bow, every eye closed give you a minute to just really think about where you're at in your life right now. Think about the choices you're making, the people you're hurting. I love it because David's sin killed Uzzah, not him. And your sin may not be hurting you, but it's hurting the people that love you. I don't know who I'm talking to. That was for you right now. I want you to pray this from your heart. Just say, Lord, I'm stumbling and you fill in the blank. Where, in what area of your life are you stumbling? Are you saying, God, I can be a better person in this area? Oh God, right now, he already knows. I say, Lord, give me a reset get me back on the right path. Father, I thank you for this service today. In the midst of all this chaos and coronavirus and all of that, you're still resetting lives. I pray for those now that will experience the reset. For those who are getting back to your presence. For those who need to make better decisions. Father, we know that what seems right to us may actually end up destroying us. So Father, we pray and we humble ourselves before you, knowing that you know what's best for us. Forgive us for our pride, thinking that we can call the shots in our lives. And like David, help us make that decision to put you first again. We love you, Lord.